This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello there, Disaster Divas, and welcome to a very special edition of the Disaster Girls podcast. It is I, your co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And it's me, Amanda Smith. And today we have a pair of guests, and we're not anchoring this to a specific movie because we have got basically every disaster movie to discuss on today's podcast because we have a pair of disasterologists, I believe is the correct term, disasterologists, will you please introduce yourselves? Sure. Hi. So my name is Dr. Samantha Montano, and I am an emergency management researcher and very excited to be here to talk through some disaster films today. And my name is John Carr, and I'm also a disaster researcher. This is, I mean, does one, is this a subcategory one specializes in when they are pursuing like their doctorate? Like I, this, I am in the category of disaster researcher. Is that where this begins? Kind of. So disaster research as a field is really broad. We have tons of different disciplines who study mm-hmm. disasters, economics, historians, psychologists, etc. John and I are both within the discipline of emergency management. Mm-hmm. So we both specialize in what we do to prevent disasters from happening, prepare for them, <laughs> what we do when they happen, and how we recover from them. How are, how are we doing as a nation? I feel poorly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not great currently. We do some things really well, currently not doing great uh, with a lot of things. Mixed Mm -hmm. bag. Got it. Okay. Hits and misses. Yeah. And have you two always been a pair or did you come together for this project or where did, where's the origin story of John and Samantha? So um, Sam and I met whenever we were in our master's program in Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, Um, okay. For for me, I was moving up from pretty close to where I'm at now in Missouri. Um, Samantha likens her experience to that of Schitt's Creek. Um, moving, <laughs> from, moving from the East Coast to moving to Fargo, North Dakota is, is quite a quite a culture shift. Uh-huh. Versus me, it's just one farm town to a slightly bigger farmer town. Right. Um, so we, we, we got to know one another there. We were in the same cohort, all the same classes, studying at the same time. Um, and then as we all had our divergent pathways to different spots, we kept in contact, and then about midway through the pandemic, um, Sam reached out with this project looking at, you know, we're all stuck in our homes. We all have a whole lot of free time on our hands. Um, I've been watching bad disaster movies, and now I think we can do something with that. All right. So with the watching bad disaster movies, was that something that was an ongoing, like, has that always been an aspect to your enjoyment of the like do you are you able to separate it out from the job and be like yeah I also love watching these even though 90% of the t- you know unlike Volcano I can't actually just commandeer a motorcycle and ride off <laughs> <laughs> um no I actually don't really like disaster movies at all and okay. I never have in the past um but I get asked about them a lot as a disasterologist mm. and so I found myself kind of having to watch a lot of disaster movies so that I would know what people were talking about right um and so I was kind of having to watch them anyway and I 
I cannot shut off my like disasterologist lens as I'm watching these movies, which is probably why I don't really like them. I think John Fair. finds much more humor and enjoyment in them than I do. I I, I really enjoy disaster movies. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's an opportunity for for Sam and I both are, are educators in addition to being researchers, and so for the college students that we typically work with, it's a good endpoint to talk about like okay, we're talking about. You know, one thing we'll, we'll probably mention is human uh, behavior myths, the mm-hmm. idea of how people react and respond, recover from, et cetera. And so for students, we say this is the movie that shows this accurately. This one is is less accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, for, for me, I do a much better job of being able to click my brain off, just like you guys, <laughs> you guys talked about in the core. It's like you can't really enjoy the core unless you just throw all science out the window. Yeah. Unless, unless and boy, really... does Amanda enjoy the core as two thirds of right. a geologist. I love it so much because it takes place in a world where science just doesn't science and I'm good with it. Right. And, and Sam loves that movie simply for Stanley Tucci as well yeah. as the, the rest of the plot, you know. Yeah. Um, the most yeah, perfect that's... disaster wardrobe in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Stanley Tucci, hands down. Mm-hmm. It's really a shame we... He, we need like three more disaster movies from him. We deserve him in yes. like three more crisis scenario, big yeah. sweeping disaster movie situations where he can be a good guy and a bad because he's so good at being a shithead. He is so good at being a heel. More, God, if we can do one thing, if you're out there listening, Paul Feig, <laughs> if you're going to make that, you're going to make a disaster movie one day, Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. Absolutely Stanley Tucci. <laughs> yes. Delroy Lindo. Bring him back. I mean, yeah, if, if we're going to, if we're going to just all-star cast a disaster movie, yeah, like, <laughs> let's go. Let's do this right. Like, let's bring them all on. But yes. <laughs> well, now then, you, you, you said a second ago before we started recording that Samantha tends to take the low budget fare, the more made for TV kind of stuff, and you take the more sort of spectacle, big budget. Now, does that have to do with Samantha? Because you don't really like these movies. Is it easier to engage them because they're just, they are what they are? Yeah, totally. I have found, I, I have watched about 170 disaster movies in the past like seven or eight months. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. It's been like a daily thing. It's really intense. Maybe not like great mental health wise to do that. But, <laughs> <I knew. laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely more of like a formulaic process for me where I'm like looking for specific things and we're just kind of getting through them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, when, because in your paper you cite airplane versus volcano, which might be the first and only academic citing of that film. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thank you for just saying the title, Amanda. So you're I welcome. Wouldn't have to search for it. No, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's going to get mentioned on the podcast because <laughs> it's it was such it's such a specifically terrible film and one that you have such a blind spot for. And inexplicably, um, I can never remember the title. <laughs> So when you're like, when you are putting these things together, because you did watch, I have watched a lot of bad movies, what warrants getting a name check like that? Fair point, yeah. In the, in the paper. Like how does, as you guys, this is, I mean, we're jumping ahead, but how do, <laughs> as you guys are writing your paper, how do you specifically earmark out, like this is one worth mentioning? Mm. Um, well, we are working on a couple different papers, and I think it kind of depends on what exactly we're writing about. I think when a movie has, like, a really good standout example of mm-hmm. whatever it is that we're talking about, then I think there's a natural draw there. Um, it is fun to kind of throw in some of the exceptionally terrible ones mm. just to help yeah. make people aware of them. Um, we also try to kind of, like, spread the love around. Like, we don't want to cite the same movie over and over again. 
given that we're pulling from such a large sample. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times did you find yourself, uh, how many times did you find yourself, all right, which Dean Kane do I choose? Which Kevin Sorbo do I choose? <laughs> how do I pick the right Casper Van Dean title so he's not overrepresented in the study? Did you find yourself at those crossroads a lot? <laughs> John and I honestly spend a lot of time talking through all of these things on Zoom calls for literally hours. <laughs> and to the, the research of our family, the integrity yeah, going of the research, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Do you but guys? It, it, it oh. really is where we just try and slam through, and and we put our narrative together, and then a lot of times I'll just leave a blank space, or Sam will leave a blank space, and mm. say I've mentioned. The core is a really great example. I've mentioned the core eight times in this article so far. We need to find something else to talk about. Um, tough. The, the day after tomorrow or, uh, you know, 2012, those are always time after time. I have mm-hmm. to leave a blank space there. It's like, I want something like this, but I yeah. need to represent something else. That way it's not an article about three movies. Dot, dot, dot. Um, it represents what exactly is going on out there. Well, and what you're what you're talking about the paper, it, it specifically right, it focuses on two thousand to two thousand. Like, is it our present, like our twenty first century disaster movies yeah, that so, you're focusing on for analysis? Yeah. So the group of movies we're focusing on now are uh, disaster films made between two thousand and like the end of two thousand and nineteen. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that's so a very right as. Oh, sorry. sorry continue. <laughs> Yeah, we cut it off basically right when like Greenland came out. Everything kind of prior to that. I was just going to say, that's almost like in some ways, that's a tough run because obviously we have like we have those we have those quintessential touch point touch points there. The 2012, the the Emmerich-esque kind of post 21st century turn movies. But it is not a conventional heyday for the disaster film. Like, say, we obviously the 1970s, we got some great stuff in the 1990s. We don't. As much real estate as certain marquee titles take up, there isn't actually, at least in the American market, there isn't actually, like, a steady production of these things, I feel like, in the way that in our consciousness they kind of exist. Like, in our consciousness, I feel like disaster movies are sort of always coming out. And thank God we have this amazing back catalog of varying degrees of quality to to keep going back to, but... We have mentioned many times on this podcast, bring back the disaster movie. Like, bring back the ensemble piece disaster movie. Because, like, Roland Emmerich is working on a moon-based disaster movie at the moment. But, like, it's kind of like, unless it's Roland Emmerich, something like a Greenland is just sort of like this random gem that drops in. And it's like, it's either, like, super sci-fi channel, Roland Emmerich, inexplicably Nick Cage or like something like Greenland comes out which I fucking loved and I'm so glad we had Bill Gabiri on to talk about it but that didn't it didn't feel like oh thank god we've got another like where's that era of time where we got two at a time where we got two disaster movies well, at a time getting... that were exactly like each other and we get a pick well, yeah we're not well we're not getting the summer like the it's the thing of the summer anymore the way it used to be Mm-mm. so sucks and we've got Gerard <laughs> Butler sitting right here <laughs> on so did you guys like as you were seeing as, as you were watching all of these films and as you were kind of trying to create because you really create an interesting like you break down what each category is and did you find that with films of uh, uh, films that let's say had a tornado that the response that the disaster response was more accurate was there like a certain genre of these movies mm. that you would find a more accurate response in um i 
Not really. John, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the way we broke it down in this kind of initial article mm-hmm. that we did was to look specifically at the types of hazards that were depicted in the movie. So was this a natural hazard, like mm-hmm. an earthquake or a volcano? Was this something supernatural? Was this a space-related uh, and kind of delineate the films that way. Uh, and then we also were looking at the size of the event that occurred. So in real life, uh, the way we do this is by looking at whether an event is an emergency, kind of on the smaller end of things, or a disaster, kind of in the middle, a catastrophe on the high end. And then we also added a category for global catastrophes, given the content of Mm -hmm. these disaster films. Uh, And so we were starting just kind of looking at that alone, because we were interested, you know, we're interested in this from a disaster research and an emergency management perspective. And so what we want to know is, as the public are watching these disaster films, what are they getting from these movies? What are they, what images are they being introduced to? And are those accurate to what happens in real life? Um, and to the extent that that's not accurate, how is that informing how they are responding to disasters in real life or the way they think about disasters that happen in real life? Um, so certainly as we're looking at some of our research that we're currently working on and will come out in the future, we're looking at how uh, these movies are depicting human behavior, how that's connected to some of these like broader narratives in these films so you but you say in your in your article like 75 percent of americans don't have particular experience like their main experience with disasters is going to be through disaster movies so not if you live on the fucking west coast (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but you so like there's there's large chunks of of the population of the country that but they all love the movies so I get, so why why study? What's the benefit to studying it if most people aren't ever going to interact with a disaster in real life? Well, so obviously well, that Amanda, is changing. Well, Amanda, are you a that. climate change denier? <laughs> <laughs> Five years from now, this is a different conversation. So with again, though, but like, what's the? I want to know, like, where's the? What is when the Michigan drive? The fucking tropics, man. So what's the what's the drive of like what's what's the benefit? for the field in that sure. sense like sure so that statistic you mentioned uh actually dates back to the 1980s so the one of the yeah. founding fathers of disaster research uh is this guy Dr. Quarantelli and he was very prolific in the study of disasters he was a sociologist so coming at it from that perspective. And one of the many articles that he wrote was this systematic review of uh, disaster film, popular disaster films that had come out, I, I think, in like the 1970s, early 1980s. Wow. He uh, was in a real, he, he was in a real golden age. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. He, he had good movies to his, choose from. His disaster <laughs> movies were all two and a half to three hours long. And 70% of that was devoted to bureaucracy and interpersonal <laughs> relationships. My favorite part about his study is that they say in there they were prioritizing movies based on which ones were actually playing at the theaters because they couldn't see them any other way. So yeah. there, there's some some weird methodology going in there. But um, yeah, he at that time, especially in the United States, he was talking about how, you know, uh, 
few people have had the experience of being kind of in the middle of a disaster. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and yet, when you talk to people about disasters, everybody thinks they know everything there is to know about disasters, right? Everybody thinks they're a disaster expert. And he identified one of those possible reasons being that we see disasters played out in these Hollywood films. Yeah. And so this, especially from this sociological perspective, is having an influence on how we think about disasters, how we're reacting to disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, since he did that study in the 1980s, there have been like two or three other studies that have really even looked at disaster myths in this context. Basically nothing. And mm-hmm. so... Um, we really wanted to see, you know, in the past several decades, kind of what is changing, what even is the landscape of disaster mm. movies right now? Um, to your point, it, it is a little bit of a weird time. We have this, uh, pretty heavy influence in the like post 9-11 era, mm-hmm. uh, but also like on this bridge into mm. climate change and concerns about environmental issues. Now we have this kind of uh, on the tail end here, we have this pandemic, which I think is probably going to be shifting a lot of these narratives that mm-hmm. we see. Now it, it's it, it interesting, like the idea of, cause like we do get, we get a lot of shit on the West coast and um, there was, I was home in Oregon last year during the fires and we don't, like a friend texted me while um, while I was there because I was sending her photos, and she was like, "I don't remember the last time." She's like, "Oregon doesn't burn this way," and I was like, "I know." And anybody, it wasn't even like uh, you know old people being like, "Oh, I, this reminds me of the fire of '62." Like there was nobody even saying that. It was like this is unprecedented here. Nobody we knew, nobody around us alive, could could connect what they were seeing where they were and like living where I live it's kind of people were asking me like is this what it's like for you every year down in LA Jordan I was like no this is hell like I've never seen anything like this it was I've been like I've been in LA for fire seasons I've have been I've experienced earthquakes like there have been things like that but it was the most acute I was in the middle of the fucking disaster movie like I was in the middle of the rising action it was where my sister lives we were in this inexplicable cradle in the Willamette Valley in this little nook where every region to every direction around us people were being evacuated for the fires and we weren't just winds were such that and terra you know flora fauna were such that we were fine in this little subdivision but it was the day it the day everything sort of started that kicked off this like month of burns. It was I had gone to eat lunch in uh, po- Portland with my mom and my sister. Clear blue skies, gorgeous. Driving back, we're going south on I five toward home, and in front of us is a gargantuan brown wall. And it was like that's where we're going. So it was, and then the wall's just getting, and you keep thinking the wall's just going to keep staying farther and farther away, but then you're driving into it. And every, nothing is settled on the ground yet. It's all hanging up high in the sky. So you're, there's no ash yet. It doesn't smell like fire. It's just creepy silent and everything looks like sick. And then you go to my sister's neighborhood and there was, it was the scariest goddamn thing. We're standing in a garlic field that borders her like subdivision and I all yeah two I'm from a farm town and on the horizon like the only sky is this thin line on the horizon of blue that's tapering off and getting smaller and smaller and everything from that is like brown gray and as it goes further back is like turning black and then it starts turning like orange purple and it was like oh my god like it it reorganized my brain 
for what was possible in terms of what is bad. It was like, oh, oh my God. Like, in the way that you watch disaster movies, and for me, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm training my brain. I, like, I, I, I love disaster movies. I have so much fun with them. But I also feel like this is, I'm trying to, pra- I'm doing practice. Like, I, 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 I want to, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, like, in your paper, it points out that, like, there was this huge surge in people, like, pirating the movie Contagion and watching the movie Contagion. And we wrote about it on Vulture. I worked there at the time, and I watch a lot of these movies. And so my editor was like, hey, can you put together a list of disaster movies? Because apparently this is what people want to watch right now. And we just kept adding to the list. I think by the time I stopped contributing, it was like 50 or 60 movies long of like disaster movie recommendations. I'm a bit of an expert. Um, And so we put it and it did really good traffic. And it's everybody has their own reasons for resorting to those films. But for me, it was kind of like, don't settle in. Like, I remember this particularly socially anxious period on Twitter at the beginning of the pandemic that really blew my mind, where it was right when we were locking down and people were having their initial panics. It was before anything became normal. But it was people being like, I'm trapped in my house. I can't get out. Oh, my God. What's what's happening? Like, people were were really upset and they were really stressed. But it was, I was kind of, it kind of freaked me out watching them. Yeah. I feel like we should maybe ask them questions. I mean, we have them. It's also our show. We'll talk to them. But like, I, I this is all implicit for context. Like, they're watching a lot of stuff. And so like, there, there was this, um, seemed like inability to have an imagination around how bad things could be with how people were reacting to how bad they were at the time. And what I was, I was watching being like, Oh my god like are you guys watching enough fiction to prepare yourselves like do you really think that this is the beginning of the disaster we are in the cold open you guys we're not in the climax we're in the cold open and so what that does bring me to for all of this setting up is as you watch these things do you find that these things become more real to you or do you they or because you this is like immersion for each of you do you find that these events, these catastrophes, these possibilities become more real to you or less real to you as you dip yourselves like full tilt into the disaster landscape? I I think that um, one thing that many of my students had was whenever Sam and I both got started teaching, many of the students that we were working with were in the post 9-11 era where like mm. the years just kept, kept getting younger and younger where it's like I was five, I was four, I wasn't yeah. born yet. Yeah. And so then for us, that that frame of what we understood to be hazards growing up, you know, we, we both were in, in middle school whenever 9-11 happened. So that really set the framework for, for all of totally. our work moving forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, with these disaster movies, one thing that's strange is that up until, you know, five, six years ago in the Midwest, at least, um, that was escapism for mm-hmm. students where it's like wildfires don't happen here. They happen over there. Totally. Um, you know, flooding doesn't happen here. It happens over there. <laughs> you know, they, there had been, you know, piecemeal things that students remembered. But for us, like for me in Missouri, we were concerned about structure fires, about our, our school yeah. burning down or tornadoes. Um, mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. happen, you know, at will. We, we don't know when and where. Um, and that was kind of what I took away from my high school years. Mm. Now these students that we're working with, again, I'm looking at those in Missouri, um, they are, they, they just experienced multiple floods in the Missouri River. Um, we had the Iowa derecho that came through that, you know, was something that none of those generations had really seen to that degree. Mm. Um, now we have the pandemic. And so now I'm starting to be able to really oh, wow. connect with students about these different things that for them, it is going from escapism to submersion that it's wow. like, oh, no, I remember 
what that was like. I remember seeing this, that, and the other. Now, just because of the geography of things, they can't experience a hurricane or they can't experience yeah. a wildfire the same way that mountain areas do. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of those hazards, now they're starting to connect in. It's like, oh, that's why, you know, uh, some of the things we experience afterwards, like donations management. Mm -hmm. Now they see what that looks like or volunteer mm. management or the, the geography limitations of um, some of my students would have to take a three day weekend in the middle of the semester because they had to drive you know, four to five hours out of their way to get around the flooding to get back to Omaha. Right, so I think right. For them, um, it's getting more and more real as we go on. Um, the other thing that I'd probably add to that is um, I remember whenever I was in my bachelor's program and my advisor was telling me about how I needed to research conspiracy theories. And I thought that was such the one of the strangest recommendations that I, mm -hmm. I could have ever had. They're like, the reason is that people are going to ask you about them. And if you don't yeah. know about those things, you're the dummy, not them. Mm -hmm, That's the mm -hmm. way they're going to perceive mm -hmm. that. Right. So, so many of these movies for Sam and I, it's like people ask those questions. People cite contagion when they're talking about the pandemic. Yeah. They cite. These are uh, the texts. Yeah, these they, are the they, texts. And so then they cite movies that are like, what was the one, Category 7 or something. It's like that can reframe somebody's mind about how hurricanes work. And so for right. us, mm -hmm. having knowledge of the way that these things work, knowledge of what the context is that they're talking uh -huh. about, that's the only way that we can really change the narrative, especially mm -hmm. in this whole idea, this whole era of alternative facts. Oh. And it's like, we need to be able to say, I know where you're coming from. However, this is what the research does. And so that's, that's a really... The, the disaster movies being the endpoint for that conversation is so important um, because that way we can meet somewhere in the middle that in theory is on fictional territory. Right. But now, now it's far less charged because we can start talking about where the research is versus mm -hmm. um, I think Sam and I both have had conversations with people where they talk about a specific hazard event or specific politicians that were involved. And those real world situations are, are far more contentious. Um, between those two people versus these movies, it's a fictional territory where, you know, a lot of those those pressure points are now off and you can talk more openly. And yeah. About Sam, anything to a, a rejoinder, <laughs> a build upon? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think this is exactly it. I think for disaster researchers, something that we have as kind of a field really struggled with the past 70 years is how mm. to communicate our research to the public, right. which in retrospect is silly because everybody wants to talk about disasters. This is like an inherently interesting field. We should not, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like people should want to talk about this. Um, and, but I, I think disaster movies for me are, is a way, like John said, to have kind of a common entry point where some of those political and more fraught things can be put aside Mm -hmm. you, you can focus on this is true, this is not, what does this look like, um, and uh, kind of find more common ground that way. What are the touchstone kind of movies that people are most likely to kind of try to talk to you about? What do you find that you're always like, oh, God, they're bringing this one up again as, as <laughs> to say, like, is it like this? And is that a generational difference between titles or do you find it's pretty consistent regardless of who you're, who you're talking to? I will say – Hands down, the most common one has been contagion. I the second okay. anybody mentioned the word pandemic last January, <laughs> yeah. I immediately was like, I gotta go rent contagion. I have not seen this movie in ten years. I like do no, not I remember. Don't, I don't like that this. movie. I do not and like then that I'm, movie. <laughs> I have been asked about it. I was like asked about it every other day for like weeks on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so that that has definitely been the big one. Um, John, I don't know. John, what about you? 
Um, what was the question again? <laughs> Sorry, I was listening to Samantha. <laughs> what the what the disaster movie touch points are when people come to you and maybe to like cite mm-hmm. things to be like, so this movie like lays out this thing, and like, what yeah. do you think about that? I, I think Twister. That- yeah, Twister is a big one for us in the Midwest. That was uh, going, okay, through, great. going through our list of like the most popular ones. The Midwest is really poorly represented, both numerically as well as what exactly is happening. It's so, like mm-hmm. the one closest to me is the crazies. And I'm just sitting here thinking like if everybody <laughs> thinks that Iowa is one baseball field with a corn silo next to it. Like, I 100% yeah, do. And I apologize. That's my people. And, then, and yeah. then you've got Twister, which is the other representation of that. It's like <laughs> there's literally just a desert of nothingness. I can't remember which author referred to it as the great but it's like that's um you know and and so that's i I think that for for midwestern stuff i'd say that um, twister is probably one of the top ones as far as looking at how how the the people react san andreas 2012 and Mm -hmm. um a day after tomorrow are the ones that come up most just because it shows the average person doing something yeah Um, it shows how important some degree of preparedness is Mm -hmm. um where you know um amanda's the master of preparedness i believe in a good earthquake kit (laughs) yeah and so you look at you know the one the sam and i talk a lot about is how um um how the daughter in San Andreas, um, how she is going through and doing all these specific things. It's like, I'm going to work with this radio technology. I know which part of the truck I need to get this part out of. Yeah. I know that <laughs> I need to go to higher ground because the next thing that's going to happen is this. Mm-hmm. That knowledge, the tools, et cetera, that's one that that we hear a lot. Um, there's a whole lot of preppers here in the Midwest. Um, and so that's one that we get okay. a lot of questions about. Um, the day after tomorrow, that has a lot more to do with the the climate change narrative. Mm. Um, and that was one that for Sam and I both, it's hard looking at the movies we've got as options as far as an objective, mm. accurate view of climate change. Um, she can probably talk a little bit more about that more accurately than I could, but it's just most of the ones we've got, it seems like climate change is too boring for them to feature at face value. Yeah. We have to instead cause, cause climate change because of... Um, the Earth being nuked by the U.S. government or a solar <laughs> flare the size of half our galaxy coming yeah. and slashing the Earth. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're not spinning anymore. The core, the core is stopped. Right. Like water, water rising gradually over a period of ten years um, is not exciting <laughs> enough to feature for some reason. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Sam, what about some of the climate change ones? Um, are, so one of one of Sam's favorite movies is Beast of the Southern Wild, which I'm sure she'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I when people ask me what my favorite disaster movie is, I always say Beast of the Southern Wild, and I get like a very disappointed response. Do you get like the dog it's, tilting its head response? Yeah, <laughs> it's like I don't know what that is. They're like, oh, I guess that's a disaster movie. And I'm like, yes, of course it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that always stands out to me as uh, uh, like an interesting and like evocative look at climate change impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think the, the thing I hear a lot from, um, movie people is Mm. that, well, climate change is represented because these are like global emergencies that are happening. And so it's, you know, the whole thing is the world has to come together and solve it. Like we do with climate change. I'm like, eh, okay. Uh, But also (laughs) like we're, we're living through climate change right now. This is what the future looks like. I don't know at this point even how you make a disaster movie without having climate change be a part of that. Right. It, right. it feels very, I don't know, it feels 
uh, it feels totally void of the moment and where you are expecting that these disaster movies be kind of a conversation with the audience. That always feels like this huge missing element to me Mm. in a lot of these movies. Well, and it's, and it's referenced. I mean, the thing is with a lot of these movies, what was, one of our little worksheet things going through the the movie so that we can note what's being talked about, who's doing what, et cetera. Um, one, one thing that we were particularly looking for was climate change and if that was part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in quite a few of these movies, but it wasn't the main cause. There right. was something else that was referenced. It wasn't the thing. Um, it's always, so, yeah, like, there's a lot of somebody saying like, well, what do you expect when we've done what we've done to the planet? And then like, no, we don't say anything else. Yeah. Right, or like exactly. hurricane, the hurricane heist where we get a little, we get a monologue about the climate change, but that it's not the, so climate change can yeah. often be like the background factor, but not necessarily the primary disaster. Mm-hmm. That and and that's thing? usually that's usually what we see in yeah. these movies, at least that um, Into the Storm is a great example. You've got mm-hmm. a RV full Love of storm that. chasers where they're putting around and um, the, the scientists are like, oh, yeah, these are going to happen more and more. And the intensity is going to grow. Yeah, but we that, that's it. You get that one little 30 mm-hmm. second snippet exactly. and then it's, then it's off. Um, and that's the same thing with Geostorm and some of these other ones that it's just really quickly skipped over. Um which, which, you know, for, for a lot of these is a missed opportunity to really mm-hmm. elaborate on what this is. And again, as a point for education, it's like this is an opportunity to talk about what this looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, from a management perspective, like from a disaster management perspective, do you feel like, like, is there, you know, you take, you know, the blockbuster ones, yes, but like kind of like the whole culture of the disaster movie and the sort of pervasive like you know approach the the way we osmosis disaster through these movies are they are they a neutral are they hurting are they helping are sort of as a populace i guess like are the way we think about what does like disaster management and what that requires like because it is like it does tend to need to be so global or it's a fire it's a fire tornado where it's like, okay, I can keep distance from a fire tornado. I don't really think I need to prepare from, for that. Um, do you like, is the way that these movies are essentially indoctrinating us to how we react to these movies? Is it helping? Is it hurting? Is it giving us like too much of a huge catastrophic distance from like the nitty gritty reality? Like logistically, what are these movies doing to our minds? Yeah, this is a really difficult question uh, to answer. Mm. Um, but I I mean, I think there's some good things and some bad things. I think it is, you know, good for people to uh, have a look into what storm chasers do and to mm. understand like the purpose of that and the data that they're collecting, right? Mm. That is like, a good thing for people to get to learn about. Um, I think there are <laughs> elements that are useful in terms of, uh, you know, raising awareness about certain types of hazards that mm. could happen to the extent that they're portraying them accurately. <laughs> I mean, e- <laughs> even with something like Contagion, the fact that that movie had a lot of public health advisors when they were making it, there were certainly some things that were not quite accurate there. Right. Um, but, you know, when you see that, you see researchers in that more like scientific advisory role. I think there can be some benefit there of helping people process a disaster when it happens, right? Mm -hmm. To to be able to say, 
oh, this thing that I'm experiencing during this pandemic is really scary, but I saw this happen in Contagion and Mm -hmm. like this is how it was handled and like, so maybe it'll be okay, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there is some useful things that are happening in that sense. I do think though that there are some pretty severe inaccuracies in these movies and especially kind of when you look at the genre as a whole that are not necessarily doing us any favors Mm. so we uh yeah like what's making your job harder (laughs) (laughs) um so uh one thing that i think is a huge deal is that these movies are focused almost entirely on the actual response to a disaster. So I mentioned earlier in emergency management, we're thinking about the things we do to prevent disasters, the things we do to prepare for disasters Mm. and the recovery afterwards. There is nearly no representation (laughs) of recovery in these movies. The like classic joke that disaster researchers make about this is the end of of San Andreas when The Rock says, Mm -hmm. well, now we rebuild. It's like, okay, how? How are you going to do that? The end like, of oh every God. disaster movie is almost implicitly now we rebuild. Like <laughs> Right, exactly. It's like all of California is destroyed, but sure, like yeah. go for it. I don't know. Um so look, that is I think this like huge absence of in this like narrative of disaster, right? And it it helps um I think kind of helps reinforce this narrative among the public of like a disaster happens and then somebody fixes it and it's fine. Yeah. And that's not what happens at all. Recovery is an absolute nightmare to go through. It takes years, if not decades, for communities to go through recovery. Right. A disaster lasts this long. And then it can be generations. Right. Building back after it. Exactly. And so there, you know, the inequalities that arise in recovery, the like mm-hmm. ethical questions about who is able to rebuild, none of that is represented in these movies. On the other end of things, you know, we very rarely see mitigation represented unless it is, you know, something like Geostorm, where the thing yeah. they did to mitigate the climate actually causes another disaster. Um, and so there's really... There, there's very little conversation about what it is that we can actually do to prevent these disasters from happening mm-hmm. in the first place, which is what we we would like to be spending most of our time talking about and actually doing. Um, you and guys then it, are the Aaron Eckhart lighting <laughs> a peach on fire in front of like the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Like you're you're the scientists. You and your your collective are like the scientists that nobody believed. 15 for 15 years and then you show up you're the ones who show up and tell oliver platt to go fuck himself (laughs) so wait does this mean that like as you're watching these movies unlike most people where most people are like well that's not realistic you guys are like well here's how i would have prevented this yeah uh, well sure so i you know when i'm not shutting off as a disasterologist (laughs) john is just like chilling but um, i'm kidding no uh yeah when i'm watching it it's so frustrating it's like oh there here's this long list of things you could have done to prevent this from happening in the first place right even just like basic preparedness measures are very (laughs) rarely represented in these movies like somebody will vaguely say like well we have a plan somewhere and then that (laughs) It's like, well, okay, actually, we have an entire system that is planning for these things at all times, right? There's all of this other stuff that's happening. And so, uh, you know, 
to the extent that, I, I mean, really, it's like every single movie is pretty solely about a response mm-hmm. that, you know, really has a huge effect on, on how the public is thinking about kind of the disaster life cycle as a whole. Okay, so now I just want to know if we go through all that you, that was a great answer, but I, all I can think about is if we go through and just name a bunch of movies, will you guys have just like, well, here's how I would have prevent, like, <laughs> here's what the pre-plan oh was. <laughs> Well, yeah, this, this is why is this be... is why I love you guys mentioning Shin Godzilla in yeah. the paper. I fucking oh. love that movie, yeah. and like I love telling people to watch it because I'm like, it's one of the best Godzilla movies ever, but also an incredible movie about bureaucracy. And, and like, it's it's widely accepted as probably one of the most accurate as far as the high level emergency management. Wow. So you know we, mm-hmm. we we may have mentioned this already, but with the emergency management stuff, it's it's more than lights and sirens and, and that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, Sam and I both go through that initial part of the conversation of, oh, so you're a firefighter or, oh, so you're a paramedic. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, um, you yeah. know, I, I sit in a computer lab and I talk about what's going on. And so then that was that was such a good representation of what a, a lot of the people do that we work with on a daily basis, that yeah. they're, they are out in the field, but they're out in the field doing that type of stuff where they're directing scores and scores of agencies and people and uh-huh. resources mm-hmm. Um, and so that that really was that bureaucratic representation of skipping from one conference room to the next conference room to, you know, everybody's in a helicopter, everybody's in a Humvee. Like yeah. that's, that's what a lot of the people um, are doing in some of these big events where um, there's a lot of stuff to be coordinated. And there are, yeah. some people out, <laughs> there are some people out in the field, but that's that nerve cell that's happening and coming together for that. And that also is another huge issue with these movies is that there is, uh, you know, there are a lot of scientists in these movies, right? We see a lot of volcanologists, seismologists, (laughs) meteorologists. We we love a geologist. (laughs) They can do everything. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) However, there is not a single emergency management researcher represented in any disaster movie ever made. Well, I feel like (laughs) if we see if we see emergency management people, they're they like they might be the villain like they might like they might like they might be like this arm of the bureaucracy like i feel like what we tend to do with a role like that that sounds so unsexy is make them the thing that stands in the way of the rogue scientist whose like theories were always right and they were the machine being like no but there's red tape and you're full of shit yeah that pitting of scientists unless you're tommy lee jones and volcano and then you're (laughs) Disaster right. manager, alpha male. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of pitting scientists against uh, various like government officials. But <laughs> to that point, there is almost no representation of emergency managers. So people who mm-hmm. are actual emergency managers in emergency management agencies, Tommy Lee Jones, Don Cheadle in Volcano mm-hmm. are the like two standout examples that are like beloved within the field of emergency management. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don Cheadle should have had a bigger role in that movie. Yeah. God. Amanda's yes. always said, I, I'm yeah. a firm yeah. believer that we needed more Cheadle. <laughs> I literally teach that in my intro to emergency management class. It's very important to me that my <laughs> students know that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, other than that, you know, the, their, the FEMA director plays a somewhat important role in the movie Super Volcano, mm-hmm. but I, there's almost no representation of emergency management. We see a lot of first responders. We see a yeah. lot of elected officials, uh, scientists, doctors, but the actual profession of emergency management is shockingly absent. You know what you're telling me here, what I'm hearing is that what we need 
is a is a Gerard Butler-esque figure who is like it becomes a series it, like it becomes a franchise about an emergency manager who in the climate crisis era that we are in every movie is him going to a different locality in the United States handling a different local disaster in each installment but he's the traveling emergency manager he or she is a traveling emergency manager Jordan you just gave away a fantastic free idea (laughs) (laughs) I'm planning on you to write it Amanda I know but you just said it on the podcast so all 700 (laughs) of our listeners are now going to be like well that's a movie I could write it's a all genius, that's a genius idea. Sorkins out there. A genius idea. I will idea. say that a lot of emergency managers talk frequently about the need for a like Parks and Rec type series <laughs> yes. about an emergency management yes. agency. I mean, it's a hit. Make it, write it. A real below, <laughs> a real below decks about emergency management. Since there are certain actors who like you'll see repeatedly in different movies. You know, you've got the Gerard Butlers, you've got the Rocks, things like that. Are there any movies that you've watched where you're like, you know what? He's doing it. He's consistently like in the event of an emergency, consistently, this is the actor you want to be surprised to see appearing. Like if if in a real life disaster, Gerard Butler shows up, I know things are going to be okay because he handles yeah. disasters well. Is there he anybody does. like you've got the Dean Keynes, the Kevin Sorbo? Is there anybody that you've consistently been like, this one's going to handle the disaster right Imagine somebody being in this conversation being like, I mean, I trust Kevin Sorbo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's my guy. Um, yeah, I mean, The Rock is the obvious person here, I think, for, <laughs> for probably both John and I. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I also don't mind, like, a John Cusack situation I in 2012. You. Like, yeah. he was... He was messy in his response, but he, like, got there. <laughs> <laughs> which feels very human. Which feels very sure, human. Sure, Yeah, I'd, I'd say um, as a sidekick, Paul Giamatti, um, even oh, though he hasn't one. been in a lot. But that's mm-hmm. that's definitely one that I'm like, I connect to him. He's, he's a good one. <laughs> um, or um, Paul Newman um, from the 70s. It's like, yeah. he's, he's doing a good job in his roles. And then he's continued to have some of those feature roles as he's gone through where either – Oh, what was it in the in the Avengers series where he was the the evil bureaucrat? Oh, that's Robert oh, yeah. Redford. Robert Redford. Robert yeah. Redford. I'd get those two mixed mm-hmm. up. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, those those would be mine. Okay. Well, okay. I wonder then, since you guys like you know the the paper focus is only the twenty first century, but like you obviously have been watching like the global the the time long time expanse of these movies. Is there a difference in because those older movies do tend to are do tend to be so long, like the airport movies and. They they do get so much more into like the human element, like belabor these things almost. Is there a difference that you find dramatically in realism from one era? Like, because I kind movies are so big and extreme now, and you kind of just have to keep moving the the bar to keep people interested. Do you find that like have we gone astray from a realism that used to be there, or has this always just been a terrain that's operated primarily in sensation? So they. If you look back at like the early 1900s, it's starting off with like um, biblical epics and Roman Mm. epics where um, a lot of it was restricted with what their special effects department could do. Um, And then you get into the 70s and it's the same thing where now we've just been able to advance it up to where we can do an entire skyscraper and our use of models is so much better. And you can do you can do like the Poseidon adventure, the explosions, and they look so good for that era. And still to this day, they look really good. Yeah, Um, I, I we talked about this a little bit, not so much in the article, but um, 
part of it is probably um, <clears throat> what the special effects departments can do that now right. with CGI and everything else after Twister and Titanic <laughs> and some of those, um, it really was, you know, taking the reins off, just go run wild. Um, that's why 2012 can even be a movie where you've just, you know, like, like, completely Paul, like front of the podcast, uh, Paul said, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got the highest body count of any of these disaster films and you can do that because you have the technology. Yeah. So part the of Yellowstone is, scene, the, the Yellowstone going up scene is still like, that still holds up. Like having watched it recently for the pot, it's just like, yeah, this is as, as awe inducing as it was when I first saw this movie. Right. And it's, and it's just good, um, you know, spectacular theatrics. It's, it's mm-hmm. great visually to watch that um the other thing is probably the idea that we're we're getting uh, our tolerance for for what we see on tv is getting higher and higher yeah. where you know the the early um last days of pompeii in like 1933 mm-hmm. it's really boring compared to any of the stuff we had in the 70s and certainly totally. any of the stuff we had in the last couple of years um and so that we just have to keep upping our game to make sure that we're giving something giving the the viewer something that they're actually going to want to watch because mm-hmm. that old version of stuff just isn't cutting it anymore yeah it's cute yeah it's a bit it's a bit charming yeah so something like um, Die Hard with one skyscraper blowing up, it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I mean, yeah, that's that's neat. That's sweet that you're able to blow up one building. What about yeah. the earth? What about the whole thing just imploding on itself? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, like that end of Greenland where you like, it's that, it's that shot from space and you see the like scars all over the globe, like throbbing with fire and then you see the you see europe just fucking gone with one it just a huge gash left in the planet and like i i like that took my breath away because we've seen a lot and for like i i still appreciate like the older stuff of course but i definitely admit that you know it the the you get conditioned however the the city city on fire yeah that was the the one one with that was one that's the one with leslie nielsen those actors are so close to fire for the entire third act of that movie. I was, I was terrified. Like that, that was, that was real fear because all of those people had fire burning around them for days on end to get those, to film that scene. Yeah. They absolutely had smoke inhalation issues there. Yeah. You can't, you couldn't make that movie again today because OSHA would prevent you from making that movie today. Right. So there's a special kind of intimate fear that goes with that goes with the old school stuff in that way, I guess. That and knowing Shelley Winters is always in peril. Right. <laughs> Goddamn Shelley Winters. And it's time for a little ad break. So uh, I'm going to send it on over to Amanda and Jordan for, for our nice little little ad. Oh, thanks, Jason. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki might be the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts saluting the brave of us who go to the movies by themselves, to comfy sweatshirts and aprons commemorating historic events like the night Florence Pugh made marmalade. They even carry enamel pins of some of your favorite directors like Hayao Miyazaki and Guillermo del Toro. Superyaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to your favorite movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Superyaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly 100% water-based inks and ships using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. 
And as a special gift for you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code DISASTERDIVA, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. Are there any disasters having kind of cataloged all of this that you're like, I really wish I could see? I really wish that they would cover this more. Is there like a is there a deep cut disaster that you really would love to see on film that you haven't yet or you don't think has gotten its due? <laughs> Um, I don't know if like a specific disaster, but I will say we were pretty shocked when we went through at how few movies have been made in the last 20 years about wildfires. Mm -hmm. Just Mm -hmm. uh, like complete absence other than what is it only the brave. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. then there's like that weird fire twister movie that Mm -hmm. is vaguely a wildfire movie. Casper Van Um, Dien classic. (laughs) Just wild. I'm a big fan Um, of Fire Twister. Fire Twister's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) The baby that they, the baby that they, you know, that you can just pop limbs off of, Amanda? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how babies work? I I'm just saying, <laughs> catching a falling baby by a limb might cause a joint to pop off. We don't know. I mean that. You don't know <laughs> unless you try it, and I don't recommend anybody try it. <laughs> yes, exactly. But that's a, the, uh, the wildfires one, that's not just a new thing either that mm-hmm, going yeah. back, I think the only other one that I've come across is um, the movie Always with um, John Goodman mm-hmm. and um, Holly Hunter and Richard Dreyfuss. That, like, that's wow, that's an okay cast. movie. That was like 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That's about uh, wildland fire pilots um, that are, you know, doing the air, the water tankers and things. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like it. And there's so many good hazard events, like the Peshtigo fire is a good one. Um, there's some of these that are just major earth shattering American disasters that they just haven't given time to. Mm-hmm. I feel like with fires, it's too, it's, I my, it's like, it's too sad. It's like, it's too, because you, you, the way that you, the way that like you see fire and disaster movies as what, uh, one of the, I think it was one of the Kevin Sorber ones we watched, um, the sentient fire fingers. Yeah, that was the Kevin fire Sorber. fingers that, that find you. Yeah. Like if fire can think, that's cool because that's crazy. And then it gives, then it's, and it also stops. Really, like, I really settled on when we were in the fires last year back home. I was like, oh, the worst disaster is fire, actually. Like, I'm calling it, guys. Like, the the worst natural disaster, short of, like, you know, meteor taking us all out, um, is fire. Because it takes ever it takes it takes the air you breathe, and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen over the course of a day, or it doesn't happen over the course of like an event that's like that lasts ten minutes that leaves incalculable destruction. It burns and it burns and it burns, and it just you can do what you you can do your best to contain it, but hopefully the fire you just need it to burn out. Like that's it seems like what fire management is is just keeping it contained in a small enough area until it puts itself out because you simply cannot spray it all down to put out the flames. Right. And I feel like it's like there unless you wanted to make like a South Korean real to life make you choke cry every twenty minutes movie. I feel like you can't make you cannot make an American wildfire movie unless it's going to be like a this is the true story of this one specific fire. There couldn't be like a disaster movie about it because it's it would have to be a prestige drama or just like the lowest budget thing where you had Casper Van Dien dressed as a firefighter because it's just so sad and slow and huge 
And you get those amazing, like, down in Southern California when you get the fires on the coast and there's the incredible, gorgeous California coastline all lit up in embers. It's striking. Right. But, like, when you're in the middle of it, it's just like, no, this is horrible. And I can't breathe and I can't go outside. And maybe my house isn't going to burn down. But it feels like it's the fucking road outside and I'm in the middle of a Cormac McCarthy novel. Well, we are getting that Angelina Jolie wildfire movie soon. So we'll, <laughs> Wait, we'll what see is what that? that looks like. What is that? Have you not seen this? No, and I love her. She's the one. Uh, <laughs> um, the plot line seems absolutely <laughs> out of control. It is like, what is, I think I watched the trailer like once. So this is my like memory of it. But she More is times like a I've wild. She's like a wildland fire or firefighter. She's a firefighter. Just on its surface mm-hmm. is incredible. Sure. And um, uh, something, the mob is involved or like, I don't know, some bad guys are involved and they like take a kid and she has to hide the kid in the middle of a wildfire that's raging. <laughs> it's like a whole thing. Oh, it's got a little bit. It it felt very like hurricane heist-like, but with Ooh. wildfire. So, oh, that's a favorite of mine. I don't know. Could be, could be good. Could be terrible. I mean, based on I love her, she is like my all time number one. Her choices. Fascinating. (laughs) A career of fascinating choices. (laughs) Um, But I think what we can say is that no matter what, she'll be great in it, regardless of what happens. (laughs) I'm just trying to picture like, please, somebody put her in a full fire, like firefighter kit. Put her in 70 pounds of firefighting gear. On that. I think she is. Yeah, she's, she's got the wildling yeah. gear on, where oh, it's yeah, like the, the yellow pant, the yellow shirt, the green pants, and all that. Yeah. I just did wow. a quick Google. I just did a quick Google, and the title is "Those Who Wish Me Dead." Oh, sure. <laughs> a catchy title. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Well, this has been a that's a wonderfully educational moment for me. Now, did you? When you like as like a teaching mechanism, what have you found like in your in aggregating all of this data? What have you found have been sort of concepts you've been able to synthesize from them that have been most effective to translate as educators? Like you said, there's the meeting on the common ground with fiction. But have there been like sort of concrete things where you've been able to connect with with people you're you're educating and they're like, oh, wow, okay, this concept makes sense or I'm interested and I want to pursue this more. Like what have been some like good touch points for you guys? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, a lot of people who, a lot of professors who teach emergency management across the country um, use these movies in our class to help mm. start conversations about the, what we call the disaster myths. So I think we yeah. mentioned these a little bit earlier, but these myths about human behavior and disasters and how we respond. So the traditional kind of narrative is that, you know, people panic, there's widespread looting, society mm. breaks down, martial law needs to be declared. Um, and, you know, society just has this complete meltdown when disaster strikes. And actually, that is very rare. Most mm. often, we see that people are coming together, you know, people are, you know, starting search and rescue on their own before formal rescuers can get there. Looting my, my is sister in- and her husband went out every night during the fires because they were just like five miles up the road from us every night. Spencer, my brother in law, he'd go out with his best friend and they would just drive around looking for people to help. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And their whole, like, kind of, like, farm buddies community was doing that every night. 
Yeah, that is, you know, that is typically what we see during disasters, that pro-social behavior where people are wanting to help one another. And so one thing that we can do with these disaster movies that often have some of these disaster myths in them is, you know, have our students watch them and then say, okay, pull apart what's inaccurate here. Where was their looting? Where was their panic depicted? Um, and kind of have conversations and, and have them realize like how these traditional narratives that they have about disasters are wrong and mm. how that's been informed by these films that they've watched. How about you? How about you, John? I, I think that for me, one of the things um, I point out a lot is how public communications and crisis communications work where you see how some of those, either the bad guys or the higher up good guys or unnamed individuals without a face are, are offering communication. So like in the movie crawl, um, unless you go to the credits, you do not realize that the governor of that state is issuing a warning over the radio um, Mm -hmm, while mm -hmm. she is driving through the barricades and everything else that those types of things we, we point out to the students to say like, look, this person is listening to the warning and yet they are driving into the hurricane because (laughs) they're trying to save a loved one, which, you know, I think Sam and I both have a couple, a couple of people, if not dozens that we know that they understand the hazard. They understand how dangerous it is. They understand what they're doing, but they're going to do it anyways because their priorities override that risk. I have, Mm -hmm. my dad is in there and I need to save him. Mm -hmm. It's not, life is not worth living if I don't have my dad. So I'm going to drive into a hurricane. Um, And so that's, that's one that we use a lot of times. Um, Another one is crisis communications within organizations Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and see how exactly they set priorities as well as what the backlash is after individuals react poorly to that. Um, So movies like um, Deepwater Horizon or Unstoppable, Mm -hmm. both of them have a significant element in it of either accurate or inaccurate um, ways that the business is making those decisions off to the side um, and then how the public is reacting to it. Um, We always want to make sure that we put that asterisk on it. That's like, you know, this, this may not be, this is dramatized for the sake of of the movie. um, Mm -hmm. But let's work through this as a case study. What would you guys have done differently? How would you have handled communications differently? Yeah. Um, or, or another thing that is becoming a, a greater and greater focus for the right reasons is um, vulnerable populations, functional and access needs populations. Yeah. Um, I always give the example of like in, in my part of the Midwest, we've still got people that their primary information is coming from AM country talk radio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, you know, if you're going to send out stuff over apps, you're going to leave out that entire population that may not even have a smartphone. You're not um, going to reach Ruth on the mountainside in Dante's Peak that way. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And and so then we we use that as well to um you know focus on what would you have done differently management wise um, mm. because we we see more and more that that communications piece the networking yeah. piece, knowing individuals and connecting with them, um, that is one of the strongest determinants for survival and disasters is if you have that network beforehand and if you're able to leverage that network when that matters most. That is exactly really what, what Mika McKinnon said when she came on. The, the geophysicist uh, talked to us about San Andreas was saying that the number one like factor in survival, like when we was when we were doing like, you know, what is this movie really about? And we were she, we were talking about da- disaster preparedness. She was saying like the best, you know, you you should have the tools on hand, like food, water supply kits, those kinds of things like to, to last you out a couple days at least till official help can get to you. But the best thing you can do for yourself, she was like, have your neighbors over for a beer, have a backyard barbecue, build a community of people around you who feel accountable 
who who feel a sense of responsibility to you and you feel it to them. She's like, that is the best way you can prepare for any disaster. Absolutely. You you do not need a chainsaw. You need a buddy with a chainsaw. You don't <laughs> yes! need a truck. Yes! You need a buddy with a truck. Um, and that's I, I joke around with that because, again, I'm from a small farming community mm-hmm. where I, I joke around about how – you know, this community is a whole bunch of cousins and uncles and nieces, yeah. and yeah. that's how they're going to respond. If you watch mm-hmm. a tornado hitting Oklahoma, the mm-hmm. first thing that's going to happen is they get up, they dust the sawdust off one another, yep. and then it's like, okay, who do I need help on the block? I know, you know, Mrs. May down the road, she's 85, she needs help. That um, was 100% what was happening around around the fight. Like, I, I, I grew up with a lot of farm kids. And so it was like, who's got a backhoe? Who's got a bulldozer? Yep. Who's got an excavator? Bring the chainsaw. Bringing out like, okay, we'll get the uh, water tank and we'll bring out uh, multiple hundred gallons of water to out here for these people. Like, you've got the flatbed. You've got the hitch. Like, it was the, the amount of community sourcing of people who had the shit. People who have the shit on their homes. They don't need to go find this stuff. These are people who are accumulating these things, if not for their jobs, right. just for like home projects on their plots. Like I, my, my, my brother-in-law's best friend came out to help with the yard one day. He brought his own fucking excavator right. and like surgically peeled the shitty grass off the yard so they could replace it. You send him out to do like precision excavator work around somebody's house to dig a fire trench. He's going to, he's going to fucking crush it. He's going to have that shit dug by morning. Right. And it was, there was a collective of people out around, I forget which part of Oregon it was in, who effectively, like, built a fire trench that stopped one of the biggest connected patches, of like, connected strings of fires, because of 30 guys and, you know, any women and children kind of who would come out and help got out there and, like, we're not stopping until we dig this. We're not stopping until this fire quits advancing on us. And it was insane. They saved houses upon houses. They saved hundreds of lives worth of possessions. It was insane (laughs) because they're just simply, you can't have enough official people when something like this happens because it's region wrecking. It's city wrecking. Like there are only so many bodies that are employed and trained to be on the job. The rest of it is the citizen force. Right. And and that's something Sam has focused on with her research. I'll, I'll turn mm. it over to her. But, you know, th- some of the functions like um, I was in Colorado and they were talking about moving horses during wildfires. Right. Just no one area has enough of those trailers and yeah. certified drivers and all that, that you just have to use those local contacts. Same thing with yeah. Cajun Navy or any of these other other groups um, mm. that Sam, you want to talk a little bit about your research there? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, the besides disaster movies, the actual thing that I do research on <laughs> is um, uh, studying how nonprofits and volunteers become involved in disasters, kind of before, during, and mm. after. And mm-hmm. again, this dates back to sociology research from the 1950s, but we see in all of these disasters, that pro-social behavior that I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, people come together in research, we call them emergent groups. They're, you know, mm. people who um, maybe are friends or neighbors, but don't you know, aren't uh, already part of like a group together for the purpose of responding to a disaster. And very often they don't have training. They don't have any kind of like specific disaster expertise, but they see that there are things that need to be done in the community. They find the resources at their houses or wherever, and they pull things together and they coordinate themselves. Right. Again, these go back, this goes back to this like broader issue with these disaster myths that some Mm. of these movies perpetuate of saying, you know, well, 
it's actually, you know, society is breaking down and everybody's grabbing their guns and shooting at each other. And that, you know, that antisocial behavior, that's that's not what we're seeing when these disasters happen, right? It's this coming together to, to help neighbors, et cetera. I will say definitely my brother-in-law and his friends were stoked to grab their guns. They didn't <laughs> use them, thank Jesus God. But like it was it was they weren't going out there. I mean, to be fair, his best friend goes to the store with a gun on his hip, so it, sure. he he was when he was out there excavating the front yard, he had his gun on him. So he's just don't leave home without it. But like it is it is interesting watching the kind of like cuz at least a little part like they were out there to sincerely help people, but it was funny watching at least a little part of it. When he would come back to the house at the end of the night, you know he liked playing Gerard Butler. Like, it was, there was definitely this, like, all right, bros, this is what we fucking prepared for. Like, there was that, there, you could see that, like, those are going to become Ray Donovan dads one day, you know? Like, they're, they're, they're kind of, there's a thrill at the idea of, like, shotguns in the truck, you got the gun on your side, we're going to get out there, we're going to fucking help some people. And, like, they don't plan on using the gun, but they sure like the feeling of carrying it. And like these are, you know, these are the sorts of guys who in in their in their wedding photos, his him and his groomsmen are posing with like shotguns. Like it's just, you know, ornate like decorative shotguns that work, but are, you know, special. Um, but yeah, there is there's a fascinating kind of I I I completely like see what you're saying, and I I I would not be like, oh yeah, that's the looting and everything takes over. There is definitely, at least subconsciously, a part of cosplay I think that kicks in with a lot of like <laughs> country guys, yeah. where they are, yeah. they're kind of yeah. amped to get out there and be like the like they would drive around for hours out there in the dark, and it's like they would help a lot of people, but also like out till like just one in the morning, and you know they just fucking love driving through the fire and being like, all right, what's next? Walkie talkies, man. Like they were, they were doing it. Yeah, the writer Rebecca Solnit, she wrote a really great book many years ago called uh, The Paradise Built in Hell. And Mm. it's all about the communities that form in the midst of disaster, um, which in research we call therapeutic communities. Um, But Mm. it's kind of it's along the lines of what you're describing, right? Of like, you know, that culturally there's some different elements here. But um, this this kind of coming together that happens during a disaster is what she calls this paradise built in hell because there's this moment of communities coming together and working together and helping one another which is like a really good feeling to have and at the same time you're surrounded by literally a disaster which is obviously terrible but there's this kind of conflicting experience of going through that well that's and that's something that um you guys have mentioned a couple times about the differences in in regional disaster films. You know the difference mm-hmm. between uh, the United States versus South totally. Korea versus you know now Norway that they've got a couple really good ones. Um, mm. One thing that we've noticed similar to your guys' observations on like dogs, um, the, the North American disaster films for some reason a bunch of them have this. Uh, shit hit the fan gun grab moment. It's like yeah, whatever yeah. crazy thing happens immediately, the main character, regardless of what their role is, what their expertise is. It's like, we grab our piece, we throw it in the, in the glove compartment and we set out yeah. on the road. And there's no reference about why that is, why they yeah. need it. What's, what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's not like there's a radio thing. That's like warning, beware of looters. Like there's no prompt to it whatsoever. No, it's and, like going into pandemic lockdown and the lines outside of gun shops get long. You're like, right. are you, what are you going to shoot? COVID? Uh, yeah. Like, what? And, and so then for the weird thing is though, is that so few people are jarred by that moment that it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. that's just what you do. Yeah. Um, and it, it probably goes back again. Um, Midwestern, 
that's that's kind of a, a common thing. If you watch shows like um, Doomsday Preppers, there's yeah. a couple I remember that had their gun collection blessed by their local priest because they thought that was what was most important in disaster preparedness. And so, right. you know, back, back to some of the questions about what we'd like to correct, that would be a main one that's like, you know, for for me working with our local volunteers after a windstorm comes through and we're chopping yeah. down trees and whatever, I don't need a 12 gauge to blow off a tree so that I can, you know, move it out of the road. Um, there's so many other tools that are a bigger priority for that. Um, and then yep. bigger than that, it's like, how many of you have actually used these in, in some sort of a situation that's like zero? None of you have. Um, None of you have. Right. None of you have. In, like in, 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 in where you live yeah. regionally. And where you live regionally, like dealing with the windstorms, like, God, it gets cold as shit in the Midwest. Yes. Like ice storm snow. It's like, friends, how often has that gun solved this particular problem? How many times after like a deep chill and like the water's out, has has that AR-15 come to the rescue? <laughs> I'm going to say few. And, and that like $600 or $700 that they're buying the extra gun with, it's like, that could get yeah, right. you a three-month supply of food. That could get you, mm-hmm. you know, so many of these things that um, um, another passion of Sam's, if you should really want to ask her about it, is um, prepper kits and the things you need to store in your car. Um, she hates them. She hates talking about them. Um, but um, that's, that's one of those things that um, that we get asked questions about all the time. Right. That, again, it goes back to people's perception versus their reality. It's like, you know, water, food, some of those basics are what the priorities are. But if you mm-hmm. ask people what's in their kit, guns are one that that come up all the time. Yeah, they're it's, it's like, I need a K-bar, I need right. five handguns, <laughs> I need grenades, right. and, and I need two like, MREs. Just yeah, two. I right. need, yeah, I need military-grade X, Y, and Z. Um, oh, fuck, did anybody bring water? Shit. Well, there was that problem. Yeah. Oh, no. That was the problem. I think it was like they were. This was an issue that I saw someone was talking about his like prepper in when there was that ice storm down in um, Texas, and uh-huh. they were talking about like my cousin or my brother's a prepper. Oh, this like tweet yeah, thread. Yeah, the tweet where he was that, like my shithead yeah, brother-in-law's a prepper, and what a fucking loser. Yeah, and like he and there's no it electricity because, and so he can't use his electric can opener to open the food. Because he didn't think to have a hand can opener and like he can't light a fire, but he's got guns. <laughs> but he's got guns. Yeah. Oh my God, there are so many guns in America. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's, um, so so with, with the disaster stuff though, um, with the disaster prepper kits, we do really mm-hmm. want to emphasize like, think about what your needs are actually going to be. Think about sure. how you can best use your resources. Also for these people with a finite amount of space, it's like, Get get a flashlight. Get get the things that are going to be basic for you. Um, <laughs> and so few people think about that one thing about what I will actually need versus what they see on the Red Cross list or some of these mm-hmm. other things. That yeah. it really has to do with what are your needs going to be and how can yeah. you best you know fit those. Well, Amanda, do you have any more science questions? Um, I don't really have any more science questions. It's like it's one of those things that's so hard to talk about the science like definitely the the big one i wanted to know was who which disaster star would you want to have with you in a disaster like that answer <laughs> that is like, important it's mean, like frankly that's why i wanted you here <laughs> <laughs> i mean in terms of the movies that you because you guys watched you you and you mentioned like how there was skyscraper with the rock and then there was the shittier cheaper expense like less expensive version that was made <laughs> did you guys find any where you're like okay 
Well, at least the EM stuff isn't super off. And like, was there a discrepancy? Did they both consistently have the same levels of inaccuracies? Was one more accurate than the other? Did you notice like if the if the budget's small, then it's going to be less accurate? What, what was kind of the, did you notice anything like that? Yeah, so actually, I I thought there was actually going to be a pretty big difference between the higher budget and lower budget movies. And so far in looking through our results, there are really not that many differences. They're they're Hmm. actually pretty similar um, in terms of the things we were looking for of like, you know, what stakeholder groups were represented, like scientists, government, um, what tasks are they doing, like search and rescue, sheltering, those kinds of things. Uh, human behavior wise, they were pretty similar, um, which I think is really interesting um, because I, I think that speaks to kind of like the genre as a whole being so consistent over time or at least the past 20 20 years, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think has been surprising uh, for me. That's really surprising, actually, just because you would, I mean, I guess they do take kind of the blueprints from each other, but hmm. at the same yeah, time, I you mean, would think, a lot of, like, sorry, go ahead. No, a lot of the differences I have found really kind of just come down to the quality of the movies and like the quality yeah. of the acting, um, but the the kind of the, those core depictions of disaster um you know the lower budget ones are definitely more obviously kind of ridiculous on their surface <laughs> you know something like the fire twister movie <laughs> what is going on but um, i love the interjection in the fire twister of the fundamentalists just being killed yeah (laughs) okay what are you telling us fire twister yeah there's definitely some like odd um odd plot twists in some of these but yeah no that 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 depiction of kind of at its core what a disaster is Mm -hmm. like what task needs what tasks need to be done and who is going to do those tasks um are are fairly consistent do you think that that's like from a base level understanding or do you think that's because we all the movies watch each other and then are like, well, we're just going to take what the last movie did? Yeah, it's just or do you, like, or do you think that there's like a cultural level of understanding or like, what do you think that is? Or is that I, just, did I just ask I, the basic crutch of the question? No, I think that both of those things are true. Um, you know, I also think that there is a huge difference here Um in uh, in these higher budget movies where they are not bringing in disaster research like disaster experts mm-hmm. emergency management experts to consult on these films with like rare exception you know when they are bringing scientists in to consult they're bringing the geologists they're bringing um you know the meteorologists who do great mm-hmm. work and provide <clears throat> incredible insight for how those actual hazards behave but most of those hazard scientists are not trained in the human behavior side of things. They're not trained in how sending out a warning works or how you do internal communications. Um, and so I think there's also, you know, where we see kind of Hollywood bridging into science and building partnerships. It's like the like NASA model of it, where you have this set of scientists that Hollywood is like going back to uh, repeatedly, or, you know, there is this idea that disasters are all about the actual hazard, the actual mm-hmm. volcano, the actual hurricane, when really what these movies are largely depicting, de- are largely depicting our, our reaction to them, which is really what the emergency 
emergency management side is. So I think there's mm-hmm. just kind of this lack of basic knowledge about what emergency management is. That is true, like outside of Hollywood and outside of movies as well. The general public has like a, a very kind of confused perception about what emergency management is. And so I think that is also kind of like a holdover there. Just out of curiosity, like if there was, if someone was like, really like, I'm doing it, fuck it, I'm doing the emergency management disaster movie. As specialists, are you guys like, no, seriously, there's like a lot here. You could make like a totally compelling cinematic or you're, or you're like, oh, we've been working I on mean, this. Or is it it like, no, it's it's boring as shit, but we can dress it up the right way. No, nothing. Okay, so. Because like the movie Margin Call is fucking thrilling. And that's somebody like sweaty looking at a computer before the stock market's about to collapse. You can make anything exciting if you're a good enough writer. Totally. No, emergency management is very exciting. I mean, we kind of make jokes about how they're sitting in like a back room of City Hall somewhere (laughs) day to day, just like writing their little plans on their computer or something. But like, actually, they're doing a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And especially when a disaster happens. I mean, yeah, they're, you know, very often in an emergency operations center. But even that alone is super interesting. Like in the movie Volcano, they show the emergency operations center. That's where Don Cheadle is like throughout that movie. so cool. And if they just kept the camera in the EOC the whole time, that in and of itself would be an incredible movie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, There's so much you could do. And it like no one has even attempted to do this. It will be the most stressful experience (laughs) of your entire goddamn life. Yeah. Yeah. Endless ideas. Huge untapped market here. Speaking (laughs) of volcano, I mean, how many of your emergency management plans involve putting children into chain restaurants? (laughs) (laughs) turning chain restaurants into orphanages you know what that's what we call an emergent shelter (laughs) (laughs) oh man volcano just keeps giving man i love that movie so a perfect film (laughs) and again this okay i think actually like based on what we're talking about the idea of making, you know, the way things kind of have to be global and crazy. Volcano is actually a perfect execution on a hyper-local disaster that feels like it's taking over the entire world. As I've said to Amanda, as I've said many times before, when I first watched that movie, when I was younger, I thought all of Los Angeles was fucked. I was like, oh my God, all (laughs) of Los Angeles has been swallowed by lava. And now I live two blocks from where the volcano happened. (laughs) It is a block. That lava makes it a fucking block. And you're like, this is the end of the world. But they make it feel like everything. Like, you can do that. You can make glo- you can make the idea of global stakes onto a local. And obviously the lava tube and the Beverly Center. But the Beverly Center had it coming. And, and that's, you know, it takes the disaster a little further out. But at the same time. The entirety of Volcano almost happens in a one block area. And that is remarkable for how good that movie is. Like, I wouldn't have even noticed it basically at my house. I'd see the ash and hopefully I didn't get taken out by a lava bomb. But for the most part, I could have stood outside and been like, what the fuck's going on over there? Which which is exactly the reality that Shin Godzilla showed where people are still yeah. playing on their phones while there's yes. a freaking monster in Tokyo Bay. <laughs> He's walk. If Godzilla's walking one way, if he's walking away from you, the disaster is exiting your scope. Right. Like <laughs> if you're in front of Godzilla, fuck. But if you're behind Godzilla in that movie, where like 
his only motivation is going forward. Right. It's just like, well, I guess I I missed it. Like, <laughs> we're clear. He's walking that way. And it can be fucking Godzilla. And it can still be a crisis that is until he, like, blows up nuclear lasers. Like, it can still be a crisis that mostly just exists in a field of vision that extends in front of him, which is... And then we get the incredible bureaucracy aspect. So what is, like... Is there anything that you want people as... As our, our disaster divas mm-hmm. watch more movies and watch all the disaster movies, is there anything that ha- you would advise to make their viewing experience better or that they could take away from a mm-hmm. disaster movie? What have you, is there any advice you can provide as, disaster, as prolific disaster movie watchers? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Sam, what do you got? Good question. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, takeaways. Um... I mean, I think, well, I don't don't know if other people will find this interesting, but I'm always really interested at seeing uh, very often the like two kind of narratives that form. There's like the one narrative that's happening at that individual level where you're seeing like one person's reaction to it. But Mm -hmm. then also if you kind of look in the background and there'll be some scenes about this, but you see all of the different organizations Mm -hmm. that are like attempting some kind of coordination in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that dynamic is really interesting to be able to kind of focus in on that one individual, but still like anytime you get a glimpse of those much larger operations that are are happening behind the scenes, that I think is, um, you know, there's so much there that's kind of happening in the background. Like anytime Mm -hmm. with rare exception, the, the only time you see FEMA in these movies is where somebody walks by in a FEMA jacket. Yeah, (laughs) it's a FEMA jacket. It's a FEMA jacket, 100%. It is so funny because like, yes, those FEMA jackets like exist and like what, like you see them sometimes, but it is like so iconic in these disaster movies. And that one jacket represents the entire U.S. emergency management (laughs) system's response to this single disaster. It's like, well, that one jacket is doing a lot of work. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, even at like the end of San Andreas, when they're up uh, looking over the city and you can see like the U.N. setting up tents behind them, you start to see all of these different disaster related organizations kind of coming in, converging on the community and like starting that recovery process. And that is always like the point of the movie that is most interesting to me. Unfortunately, Mm. it's always like the end of the movie. Um, But I think that's kind of a cool thing to look out for. I love the idea of the, of a disaster movie that starts with that moment. (laughs) I'm into it. No, I'm super. Yeah. Like you said, it's not, it's not like, it's not like this has been done. Like, but I, I love the idea of just like, you see like, the water receipt like you see news footage of the disaster and then you just open on everything else the devastation i i think for me one of the things that i'd probably recommend to people is that um with any of the events you're watching in these movies there's real world events that are just as much if not more so dramatic than what these filmmakers are offering you so Mm -hmm. one of my favorite disasters to study um is a volcano that popped up in the 1970s just south of iceland um in a group of islands called the Westman Islands. And it was a really neat thing that the island is so tiny. It has an airport, but it was the major point for all of Iceland's fishing industry. Oh, this is the harbor. 
Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. And so that oh, one, it's like they, they used um, water-cooled mm-hmm. pipes and like cold seawater to direct the, the lava away from it. It's like, yeah. this is the real world example of what's wow. happening in Volcano. They, in fact, they, they mention it. They name it. check it in Volcano. Right. Exactly. Oh, and, cool. And so like if, if that's your jam, if you like that one movie, then there's a book called um, Island on Fire that narrates that entire thing. And it talks about some of the big ones like the... 30,000 long syllable volcano in Iceland that popped up a few years ago. Um, (laughs) Those, so there's, there's a good one. Um, Another one is if you liked only the brave, um, there is a book called young men and fire that's talking about the man Gulch fire where a similar situation happened. Poor communications and bad planning um, led to basically lessons learned through a lot of lives being lost. But Mm -hmm. that book um, is, is exceptional and it talks through that. There's a lot of these movies that the movie itself is fantastic. And if you want to hear about the real world thing, just look, look and see what, what else is out there. Um, you know, Sam's got a list of 365 disaster books that you should read. I can promise wow. that there's a healthy number of those that are really, <laughs> really um, interesting just to the general person, just dipping your toe into the, into the pond. Um, check that out. There, there's a lot of great ones on that list. Is that on your website, Sam? Yeah, it is. Oh, awesome. Um, okay. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, have either have you guys watched Krakatoa East of Java? <laughs> I have not. I have not. That is on my list though. Okay. It's a it's what a, a film. What a time. <laughs> uh I just I only oh, no. I just thought because ever since Amanda sang it in the style of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme <laughs> yeah. song, I've never forgotten it. And every once in a while, Amanda, you singing Krakatoa <laughs> East of Java. <laughs> will pop up in my head. It's crazy. So is that the key to get you to remember movie titles? Is I just guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. It, it did, but it's that just is, it's the only movie title that's ever fit the, it so perfectly from our. Oh yeah, and it's, I think it's, that's the best title. Yeah. It's one of the best movie titles ever. Krakatoa East of Java. Like just, okay, <laughs> thank you for that, you know, second start of the writing straight on till morning. I got Airplane it. Airplane <laughs> versus big volcano. Airplane <laughs> versus big volcano. <laughs> Big, good enough. Yeah. I mean, okay, that's got to, that, I, I feel like that'll work now. I, I'll just, I'll know the big is just for stylistic, I mean, you stylistic help. You could, you could say the instead of big, but you, you, get, the, you get the point. <laughs> um, well, do you, I feel like that, we, that brings us to a good, like, concluding point in a wonderfully robust conversation. And I put it to you guys before we started recording this, because we, we always, uh, we half the time remember to pick a movie before we start, and then half the time, like, have to stop and sort it in progress. But would you guys, what, what would you guys say, we, we either, because it's so fucking bad that you've seen, or it just, like, is an exceptional example, um, what, what should we watch for for like I don't next week's podcast? What should be our movie? Um, okay, uh, some options here. Okay, have you done? I don't know what exactly what you've done before, but right, Beast we can, of the we Southern, can shout, shout it out. Have you done Beasts of the Southern Wild before? We haven't. I think we that have, could be really we interesting. Have not considered that as a disaster movie. It is so different than all okay. the others. I think that could be really interesting. Um, for a really bad one, have you done Miami Magma? We did. We did do Miami Magma. We did Miami. do that. We did we? do Miami Magma. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That has my favorite disaster death in it. Which is? Um, <laughs> which? Uh, yeah. What's the, the, what is it? <laughs> so that's the movie where um, somebody hits a tennis ball that like catches on that's lava. That's right. Like through yes! that guy. Yeah. It was so <laughs> unexpected. I screamed. I was like, what? 
just happened. The most dramatic movie death, uh, disaster that, um, movie death. The, the, I feel like the the edge, the edge that the low budget movies have are absolutely the deaths. Yes. The best disaster deaths we've seen, I think two a one are in those low budget movies. Maybe none more so than Stonados. Oh, Stonados. When a giant yeah, rock oh. crushes a man playing pickup basketball with a friend. Yeah. And you see like yeah. his hands underneath. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, that was a really bad one. There's also, I'm, I think it's like, I want to say the name is Asteroid vs. Earth, but that's like every movie name. There's, <laughs> yeah. one, where the man, there's one where the character, uh, I don't understand how, but to save Earth, he has to jump into a volcano with two nuclear bombs. Sure. It's like this very dramatic, heroic death. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, right, this sure, actually, there is one called Asteroid vs. Earth. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Captain, Ro- there's a Captain Rogers. I'm looking to see if there's anybody who you would recognize. T- Tia Carrera. Tia Carrera. Tia Carrera is oh, in this. Good. I mean, I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know one. if it's this or not is the one you're talking about, but this is definitely what we're watching. <laughs> <laughs> is it Asteroid versus Earth? It's called Asteroid versus Earth. I don't think that I right. had this earmarked as a movie for us. We're definitely watching this. Um, okay. Heaven is falling, so Earth must move. Yeah, that's the what one. What a tagline. When yeah. a shower of massive meteors threatens an extinction level on Earth, the world's greatest minds devise a dangerous plan that will take the planet off its axis in order to avoid the impact. <laughs> a different kind of wandering Earth. Uh, I mean, John, you're welcome to offer up some suggestions as well, but right now we've got a winner. <laughs> um, so, so for my for my good ones, I would say that um, I'm still. You guys haven't done the quake yet. We right? haven't done the quake. We've not done no, the quake. Yeah, we, did, we haven't done the, the quake. Wave. Yeah, but yeah. So that one I I just watched and um, devastating. That, that definitely is an ugly cry movie mm-hmm. um, with like how n- not putting out any spoilers, but it's like that is a really good one. That's in my top five or ten disaster movies. Um, also, another one that's leaning more towards like zombie movies, um, but is good nonetheless, is Trained to Basan. Mm. Um, that one's really good. Um, yeah. Would we do that for a disaster movie, Amanda? Do we do zombies? I mean, I feel like we can flex it. So one of the things, you uh-huh. know, going like we didn't talk about this, but I know that you guys, a big thing that you have to ta- that you tackle in your in your um, article is what is a disaster movie? Yeah, and that's like a big de- <laughs> that's like a big defining feature for you guys. It's a big question. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Because that's. So um, a lot of the stuff that we're working with, Mm -hmm. um, the disaster people have their disaster terms and they're sitting Mm -hmm. over at the table by themselves while all the cool kids are talking about movies across the cafeteria. Yeah. So all the cool kids that are talking about the movies, um, they're looking at it, you know, the the film scholar side. There's a guy named Maurice Yakawar that back in like 1975 um, wrote a piece called The Bug and the Rug. And it was all about his categorization of disaster movies. Mm -hmm. And that's been like one of like six major film scholar pieces. And everybody cites him. Um, Okay. It's got a lot of really interesting stuff in it. It's in, um, you can buy it on Amazon for like six bucks as part of a film (laughs) theory reader. Um, But it's it's really interesting because it's 1975 and before. So he's talking about like black and white films all the way back to silent films. Um, mm-hmm. but his, he includes everything from monster films, zombie films. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, he, he excluded war in some of those because that doesn't really count because war and disasters are different. Um, but yeah. his was really broad. It's mm-hmm. basically when bad stuff happens and society stops, that's what we define as a disaster film. Um, and Amanda's very helpful metric is if it can happen in the, if you can play it in the Sims. Yeah. If you can do it to your town yeah. in SimCity is my metric. 
as yeah. deaths because yeah it, which uh, it makes me feel like now we're film scholars because of the fact that we've created a, a defining rubric that I think has held up you pretty did, well uh, well you did Amanda yeah I think you absolutely are a scholar yeah and and uh, so Quarantelli that mm-hmm. Sam mentioned earlier it's like that was some of his stuff that yeah. he was talking about where the idea of a disaster is it disrupts mm-hmm. the regular function of a community there's a couple of right. other things hanging on but that's mm-hmm. that's really the essence of it um, and then you get this idea that the movie has to be about the disaster itself yeah um, Sam and I both, the challenge is, is that the, so if we're just dealing with like IMDb flags, they, yeah. they say like, oh, disaster film, but it could be anything from um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which we included. Yes. Um, but a oh, lot, okay. a with lot good of people reason. would not. Yeah, yeah. It, a lot of people would not consider that to be a disaster <laughs> film for I've been pushing reasons. for us to do an episode on that movie yeah. for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it made it into our scoring. So there you go. Um, Aha, but yeah, that's, that's a challenge because then then you've also got the added layer of the monsters being the representation of a disaster like you had right. with Godzilla and Shin Godzilla, that yeah. those are in fact about um, disasters, but they're not about disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. So it's, yeah. Um, Sam, did you have anything on that? Um, no, I mean, we threw some guardrails up, but I will say we tried to take a pretty broad interpretation of disaster movies. And we were, because for our purposes, you know, we're interested in what does the public think of when they think of a disaster movie? And so, um, even if us as like disaster scholars are kind of like, oh, I don't know if that's a disaster movie. If the public is interpreting it that way, you know, we want to make sure we include it. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. So I think that we have our movie selected for next week. I think that yeah, we do. we've learned a lot about disasterology today. Yes, this has been great. Thank you <laughs> yeah. guys so much for coming and talking to us. Thanks for having us. So, okay, as so Sam, where can we find you? What do you want to promote? Mm-hmm. What are where where are you accessible at? Sure. So the best place to find me is on Twitter. My handle is Sam L. Montano. Um, you can also check out my website, which is disaster-ology.com. Um, and I also have a book coming out this August called Disasterology Dispatches from the Front Lines of the Climate Crisis, cool. which is about cool. how um, I got into disaster work, the disasters I've been to and research. Some of the things we talked about today are in there. There's some disaster movie talk in there um so yeah and that's like a podcast on paper right that's <laughs> basically okay, yes. Okay, cool. yes that that that's it that's the that, the, hook, hook the people yes <laughs> and john how about you where can we find you uh you can find me on twitter at this is john fest and one other thing that sam and i both do for for our students and then for the general public is disasterologists at the movies oh cool and so a lot of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today um, where we're looking at the movie and then analyzing it according to reality and according to disaster researchers. We try and do that same thing. It started off where we needed something social for our students to do early on in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we had a wave of practitioners that are like, I'm just as bored as your students are. I really want to come <laughs> in and play. Um, and yeah. so we we had a lot of, of really good movies early on. We covered you know, Twister and some of those other standards that we've, we've talked about from the 90s. Um, but we'll be doing a few more of those um, over the summer, over the fall. Um, and that's just hashtag D-A-T-M. Or if you're following Sam or I, um, we'll have those updates come through. Very cool. Well, and Amazing. Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U, the Promising Young Woman mini podcast with uh, that I'm doing with Anna Bogutskaya is live. So go uh, listen to us talk for hours about Promising Young Woman. 
and the Neon Demon mini pod is on the way. So you can hear me talk for hours and hours and hours about many more things. (laughs) And Austerion has a great back catalog. And yeah, Austerion season one is so sweet. So uh, do go find that and listen to all of it. And Jason, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason Halftones for all the, you know, comic booky, nerdy, whatever stuff. Uh, and uh, you can go to thatmightbecool.com for uh, more podcasts. And you can find me. I'm Amanda R. Tubbs, and that's Tubbs with two Bs. Two Bs. Which, two by bees. the way, is where you can see Asteroid versus Earth is also on Tubi. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> and that's where you can find me. Uh, podcast is disaster underscore pod on Twitter, and we're disastergirlspod at gmail.com. And we're Disaster Girls on Letterboxd if you want to see our big lists of all of the disaster movies that we will be covering or considering covering. Comprehensive. And we'll now include Asteroid versus it will be on, Earth. It is on, it's yeah. been added to the Disasters from Space category. <laughs> uh, Disasters from Space itself sounds like a, a the title of a sci-fi yeah, original movie. Completely, oh, yeah. all completely. the titles of these are like just all the titles of these lists are just shy of themselves being a disaster movie <laughs> title. Like, if you put outer on there, then it sounds like a low budget movie from the seventies, right? Very cool. Disasters, disasters <laughs> animal disasters. You know, incredible. Yeah, I think all, those, I, uh, yeah. all those could be on TV. I, I think I had win win based at one point. Oh, apocalyptic scenarios. <laughs> now, <laughs> scenarios. This is a little bit of a side question, but I am actually wondering: at some point, are we going to have to create a category for like technopocalyptic disasters, like like disasters in which our technology sort of takes over? Like, is that is that becoming? I feel like so... we would be. We could dip into the nineties yeah. and start. Yeah, we could definitely start, start doing robot like apocalypse sort of situations. Because I feel like at a certain like point, Johnny Mnemonic, Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> Please, he's got a whole gigabyte in his head. Come on, he's got a whole gigabyte in his head. <laughs> he can do anything with he, that. There's there's there is a neuro disease because of information overload as henry rollins tells us like this is good stuff yeah i feel like at a certain point it's plausible enough that I we have to we start can, covering we it can as eventually a, as expand out disaster. definitely to to robot apocalypse scenario like situations <laughs> to hear keanu say you got nas black shakes <laughs> well well guys i think on that note we'll see y'all back next week for Asteroid versus Earth. We will see you then, and until then, loop it through Jones. <laughs> Thanks again for coming, guys. You bet. Thanks for having us. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>